We're picking up with Galatians 4, starting at verse 21 today. I invite you actually to follow along in this. This 10-verse section carries us further in the journey. While you're taking time to turn there, and of course there's Bibles under your chairs if you don't have one or don't have a phone, um, you might be that one person left in the world. Um, I, I got to say, I just really enjoyed communion that way. Um, but one of my favorite aspects of it was how many people walking away going, what do I do with my cup? <laughs> we just want to let you know that it is a commemorative keepsake to remember your time here at Fellowship of Faith. And if you save it, you can get free refills anytime you come back to Fellowship of Faith for communion services in the future. So, 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 so cherish that a little bit. Galatians 4, verse 21, and, and it's prompted by a question Paul asks. Steve, why don't you put that on the screen for me? Let's look at it together. Where Paul says, tell me, you who want to be under the law, are you not aware of what the law says? Of course, all of Galatians so far is written to this group of Galatian Christians who are feeling tempted to go back to try to get right with God and become the people of God, not just on the basis of what Christ did for them, but on the basis of living out the commands of God in the Mosaic law. They're struggling, they're waffling, they're, they're on the edge and... Paul says, okay, so you who want to be under the law, are you not aware of what the law says? Which, of course, you feel like you're being set up at that motion, at that, that, that moment, don't you? Because maybe you are aware of the law, what the law says. Maybe you're here and you're not aware of what the law says. But you kind of feel like Paul's got like, okay, what's the trick up your sleeve? You know, what are you, you going to play on me? And this question that he's asking is predicated on two questions. And I want to keep these two questions before you today. Let's put them on the screen so that you can see them. And here's the two questions. Now, Paul doesn't ask these, but they're behind the scenes. They're between the lines. Are you trying to get right with God by your own actions? And number two, do you believe that what Jesus did for you is enough? to receive the promises of God? Or by contrast, do you think you need to add to it? Do something more. Build on it. Because the answer to these two questions means everything in your relationship with God. And it's everything that Paul is writing about. Now, I find that different people have different learning styles. You know, gathered here together, we're one in Christ, but, but gathered here together, we have differences in distinctions, and that includes how we learn things too, how we prefer to learn things, what kind of sticks in our brain, how things work. Some people like very reasoned, rational arguments where there's a logical flow and it's defended. Maybe I'm speaking to you today. Other people respond more to an emotional appeal. Right? There's something in the character of the person and on our believability of the person and his trustworthiness that seems to draw us in. Some of us like to hear. Some of us like to see. Some of us like to experience. We all have different ways, don't we? And some of us learn best by stories. 
You know, analogies, pictures, images, if you will. And it's been kind of interesting because if you've been tracking with us in Galatians so far, in chapter 3, Paul takes us into all these logical, reasoned, defended arguments for why the gospel that he's preaching is biblical and true. In chapter 4, he switches gears and he starts making personal appeals to them directly to believe that the gospel message he's bringing is true. And here at verse 21, Paul shifts tactics again. And this time, he tells a story. And by this story, which comes out of what he calls the law, when he asks, don't you know what the law says, he's hoping to impress on you the right answer to these two questions. The right answer to, are you trying to get right with God by your own actions? And do you believe that what Jesus did for you is enough? Is enough, it's sufficient for you to receive the promises of God. And the story revolves around a guy named Abraham. I'm not talking stovepipe, hat, 16th, you know, president kind of guy. Not Abe Lincoln here, but Abraham of the Old Testament. Now, you can find Abraham's story in the first book of the Bible called Genesis. It pretty much spans Genesis 12 to 21. And I don't have time to read you the entire story Today, but I do want to highlight it because if you don't understand the story of Abraham, what Paul is going to say in Galatians, I don't think is going to make sense to you. Now, we've already seen that Abraham is a big deal in Galatians. Paul seems to kind of get a lot of traction out of this guy telling us that we receive the blessings of Abraham, calling us the seed of Abraham, talking about the inheritance that comes through Abraham. It's Abraham, 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 Abraham. Abraham is a big deal. So at some point, you got to step back and go, all right, who is this guy? Right? Because if it's a big deal to Paul, what is he tapping into that I need to know? So let me pick up with one episode of the Abraham story. And I'm going to start by reading to you from Genesis chapter 15. Now, the context is God comes to a guy who at this point is named Abram. The Aham came later because why not change your name, right? He comes to this guy named Abram and like literally out of the blue, God just comes to him and he says, Abram, leave your country and go to the land that I'm going to show you. Leave your country and your family and go to the land that I'm going to show you and I am going to make you great. And I'm going to make your name great. And you are going to be blessed. I'm going to bless you, Abram. And not only that, I'm going to even go so far as to bless whoever blesses you and I've got your back, Abram. I'm going to curse whoever curses you. And through you, Abram, all peoples, all peoples are going to be blessed through you. Would you like a moment like that with God? 
Heaven opens up or you hear the voice or some angel appears and you're quaking in your shoes and God's just like, no, 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 I'm going to make you great. And I'm going to bless you. So go to this place that I'm going to show you. And you go, where? And he goes, I'm going to show you. And I'm going to bless you. I'm going to bless the snot out of you. I'm going to bless you so much that it starts coming out your pores and your nose. And if you read the story, it's just like that. And people are even going to look at you as a source of blessing. Like, they're going to notice that, wow, when I like treat Abraham the right way, I get blessed. All right, that's an incentive program. And when I mistreat Abram, it goes bad for me. Talk about having that kind of blanket of protection around you. And Abram, through you, or maybe through you, God's going to bless all people. Think about that for a moment. That's what God does. It doesn't seem to be premeditated. It doesn't seem to be based on anything Abram does. Nah, God just chooses them. I just want to bless you. And the more you read the Bible, the more you're going to find out that's the kind of God he is. He's a God who just likes to do things. He just wants to bless you. Not because you're amazing, not because you're something special. You're not. I like the snowflake ad, you know, you're special, you're unique, just like everyone else, you know? No. And all of your garbage and all of your muck and all of your brokenness and all of it, God just wants to bless you. You don't have to earn it. You don't have to get it from him. You don't have to convince him. You don't have to win him over. He just rolls that way. And now at chapter 15, God comes to him again. Because like, if you don't get it the first time, you've got to say it again. How many of you have had to hear the same thing like 800 times? Believe me, I know you come here every Sunday, all right? <laughs> After this, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. And look at what he says. Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield, your very great reward. But Abram said, ah, oh, Lord, what can you give me since I remain childless? And the only one who will inherit my estate is this chump named Eliezer of Damascus. And Abram said, you've given me no children. A servant in my house is going to be my heir. Then the word of the Lord came to him. And listen to what God says. This man will not be your heir, but a son coming from your own body will be your heir. And he took Abram outside and said, look up at the heavens and count the stars. And this isn't an era before light pollution. <laughs> and he said, count them. If indeed you can. And then he said, so shall your offspring be. And it says that Abram believed the Lord and he credited it to him as righteousness. God saw that Abraham was willing to believe in it. Take him at his word. 
to just trust him against all odds, against all hope, against all common sense. How can I have that many kids? The brother's like 90 years old. I mean, rock on. He's a hero of mine, but seriously. But Abraham believes God, and he credits it to him, is righteousness. Abraham believes God for a time. Because if you read the story into chapter 16, you pick up with the narrative, and let me just read the first opening passage to you. Now Sarah, Abram's wife, had borne him no children. But Sarah had an Egyptian maidservant named Hagar. So she said to Abram, The Lord has kept me from having children. So sleep with my maidservant. Perhaps I can build a family through her. And it's kind of understated, but Abram's like, oh, good idea. (laughs) We can be thick sometimes, can't we? And he does it. And Hagar has a child. You know what strikes me about this story? And let's not let it miss us. Let's not let it skip us by. Is that even though Abraham at one point believed God, believed this radical, crazy promise, it didn't come to pass. Think of all the promises God has made. Think of them. How many of them have come to pass? Have you experienced in the way the Bible describes them? See, it's often easy to believe at first, but when it doesn't come around, do you find yourself in this place of waffling, this place of uncertainty, this place where you start to doubt, this place where you start to go, is this like really going to happen? Am I interpreting this wrong? Is God going to play this out? And I don't mean lip service to the promise. I mean in here. Do you ever find yourself in that place where you start to doubt what God has promised to you and as a result start to kind of take things into your own hands? See, that's exactly the story of Abram. God made him a promise. You are going to have so much offspring, so many descendants. It's like the stars in the sky. And it didn't happen. Maybe I missed something he's thinking. Maybe God wanted me to act on this in some way. Maybe I missed something or it got lost in translation. He isn't getting any younger. Sarah is well beyond her childbearing years. If the promise is going to come to be, then I got to make it happen. Can you identify with Abraham a little bit in this? Ever find yourself doing the same thing in your relationship with God. So he does what's seemingly obvious. Sarah can't bear me, kids. Maybe this woman can, and the promise will come true. And Hagar conceives. She has a son. They name him Ishmael. 
We made it happen. God's promise has come about by my effort, my strategizing, my ability. Now, if you kept reading the story, you would come to find that Hagar starts to play this to her advantage. Because now that Abram has slept with her, now that Abram has his son, his hope, his future, and his dynasty through her, Sarah doesn't carry as much weight anymore. Sarah can't call the shots anymore, even though I'm her servant. And in the chapter of, uh, in the verses of chapter 16 of Genesis, it says that Hagar started to despise her mistress. The sense you almost get is that he starts to, she starts to kind of like lord it over her, mistreat her. And Abraham finds himself in the middle of this. What do you do? And God comes to him again. And if I can just simply summarize this portion of the story, I'm going to put it like this. God shows up and goes, Abraham, what are you doing? What are you thinking? When I give my word, don't I mean it? If I said it was going to happen, isn't it going to come true? Didn't I tell you that your offspring would be more numerous than the stars in the sky? Abraham, what are you doing? You may have brought about this child, Ishmael, with Hagar by your own efforts, actions, and making, but that's not where my promise is at. No, I've got a plan, and I'm going to do it my way, Abraham. Good advice to us all, by the way. Right? No matter what you do to thwart the promises and plans of God, he's got a way. And the quicker you can find that out and get in accord with it, the better life is going to go for you. I have got a way. And it is not going to be through Hagar. No, I'll bless that child. And I'll bless Hagar too. But my promise, the promise I made to you, it is coming. Through your wife, Sarah. And a son in your old age and her old age that is to be born to you. I love how the story goes on. Later, God like actually shows up, not just in a vision, not just in a dream, but he actually like shows up. What does that look like? What does that mean? I don't know. But he goes and he has lunch with Abraham. Two angels too, because you never want to go to lunch alone. And they reiterate the promise. No, no, no. Sarah's going to have a baby. Wait, she's like 90. Okay, those of you who are like 90 in the room or feel like you're 90... Like, like, really? And she does exactly what you're doing. She laughs. She laughs. She goes, it's the most stupid thing I've ever heard. Has God ever told you something and in your heart of hearts you said this is the most stupid thing I've ever heard? And you laughed? And God goes, why are you laughing? Okay, I'll tell you what. You've got to name your kid laughter. That's what Isaac means. God's got a wonderful sense of humor. Name him laughter because you laughed in the face of the promise of God and in her old age against any ability that Sarah had. 
God's promise came true. And through this son, Isaac, a dynasty, a family tree exploded onto the scene larger than you could metaphorically count the stars in the sky. It is in this story that I just shared with you that, again, you can find in the pages of Genesis 12 to 21 that Paul latches onto. Now, you might not know this story, but the Galatians did. And that's why it works for them when I share these words now from Galatians that I am about to read to you. From Galatians chapter 4, verse 21, I'm going to read this in the message again. You can follow along in whatever copy you'd like, but let me share the story with you. Paul writes, Tell me now, You who have become so enamored with the law. Have you paid close attention to the law? Abraham, remember, had two sons. One by the slave woman, Hagar. And one by the free woman, Sarah. The son of the slave woman was born by human connivance, human effort, human human scheming. You know what I mean? The son of the free woman was born by God's promise. This illustrates the very thing we are dealing with now, Paul writes. The two births represent, underline that, they represent something. The two births represent two ways of being in relationship with God. One is from Mount Sinai in Arabia. That's where the Ten Commandments were given. It corresponds with what is now going on in Jerusalem, a slave life, producing slaves as offspring. This is the way of Hagar. In contrast, there is an invisible Jerusalem, a free Jerusalem, and she is our mother. This is the way of Sarah. Remember what Isaiah the prophet wrote. Rejoice, barren woman who bears no children. Shout and cry out, woman who has never had birth pangs, because the children of the barren woman now surpass the children of the chosen one. And Galatians says, isn't it clear, friends, that you, like Isaac, are children of the promise. In the days of Hagar and Sarah, the child who came from faithless connivance, that is Ishmael, harassed the child who came empowered by the spirit from the faithful promise, that is Isaac. Isn't it clear that the harassment you are now experiencing from the Jerusalem heretics follows the same old pattern? There is a scripture that tells us what to do. Expel the slave mother with her son. Get her out of here. For the slave son will not inherit with the free son. Isn't that conclusive? We are not children of the slave woman but of the free woman. 
See, the story of Abraham is a story of Abraham with two women, Hagar and Sarah. And anytime you have a story of a guy with two women, there's always going to be drama. Amen? Amen. But Paul says this story is meant to illustrate something. Yes, the story happened. Yes, it is factual. Yes, it is historical. But he calls it something more. Paul will call it a parable, a typology, an allegory. He says it's basically like a metaphor on steroids. There's imagery here that I want you to capture that goes beyond just the simple events because it's far more than who a child was born to. It represents two ways, two ways people try to go about getting right with God. Two ways people try to go about becoming part of God's children or people by their own, I love that word, connivance, their own scheming and planning and efforts and works, or by simply believing the promise. The promise that God said, I'm going to make you right with me. I'm going to do the lifting. I'm going to make you one of my sons, and that includes those of you who are women too. I'm going to do it through what Jesus Christ has done for you, because the gospel at its root is about what God does, not what you do. Do. And that's what Paul is trying to bring home through the story. These people are coming from Jerusalem. They know the apostles, Peter and James and the crew, like this. And they are coming to these Galatian Christians trying to tell them that Jesus is a good start. But now it's up to what you do. You got to build on it. You got to make it happen. You got to put it into play. You got to bring it about by your own scheming, planning, ability, and connivance. They're saying that if you really want to be a part of the covenant people of God, well, here's the Mosaic law. You entered by faith. Now bring it home. And Paul brings them back to Hagar and Sarah. Wait a minute, guys, it's never been this way. They're doing the exact same thing that the very forefathers and mothers of our faith had done back in the beginning. No. You who are trying to become part of the covenant people of God by following the Mosaic law, you're basically doing the same thing, taking matters into your own hands bringing it about by your own effort, not seeing maybe how the promise of God can work this way, so I better do something to hedge my bets, to make sure that I'm in, to get the bases covered, if you will. And those false teachers from Jerusalem were coming and tormenting these Galatian Christians, casting all kinds of doubt and uncertainty over the simple faith in Christ that they carried as their way of acceptance before God, wondering if it might be the case. Nah. Now Paul says, if you want to base your life in the way of God and the law of God, look at what the very law itself says. There was two women, one of a slave, one who was free. Which do you want to be? See, look, 
There's a lot of you here, here that, that, that I got to believe do it because it's human nature to do so. But there's a lot of you here who are still trying to get right with God based on your participation. You set up a plan. You've set up a program. You're doing something. You're trying to obey God, impress God, please God by being obedient to him somehow and in some way thinking that by doing that you are in. Makes you a child of Hagar. Paul calls that slavery right there. But he invites us to another way. He invites us to believe a promise that God has made and that God has made to each of you. A promise that Christ suffered, died, and was buried. That three days later, Christ rose again. And somehow and in some way through that, God has made all things right with you. That through Jesus, you become acceptable to him. And to anyone who believes his promise. They become the true offspring from the very seed of Sarah, the free woman. Part of the promise of God itself. Yet again, we see Paul circling back around, trying to drive home the central point that when it comes to your relationship with God, it's about what he does, not what you do. Tim Keller, former pastor who I love up in New York, read or listen to whatever he has, wrote a commentary on Galatians. and In it, he just made a comment. Wait a minute, are we just like, it's like chapter four, verse 21, and we're literally saying the same thing again? I loved it. We were in a staff meeting. We were talking about this. And it even came up in the staff. Wait a minute. Didn't we like cover this ground already? Aren't we like doing the same thing again? To which Paul and Galatians would answer, you bet we are. Because for a lot of people, we just don't get it. And we just need to hear it. Because as Tim Keller once put, the gospel is not the ABCs of Christianity. The basics by which we get started to which we build on, no, the gospel is the A to Z of Christianity. It is the beginning and the end, the sum totality of everything it means to be alive in the spirit, in relationship with God, part of his covenant people. It is about what God does not what you do. And from here on out, these next few weeks in this letter, Paul is going to start paving a way of showing us now what that looks like in life and practice, in partnership with the Spirit who lives and animates and walks freely with you. That's Galatians 4, 21 to 31. So look, guys, this coming week, I want to share with you a couple of things. For those of you who are looking to put into practice 
what it means to live by the way of the Spirit, particularly in a season called Lent. We invite you to hop on our faith training page. That's fellowshipoffaith.org. Go to faith training and get our faith check guide. And built into our faith training reading plan, which is also there, you will find devotional practices you can build in the week to help examine that, to help root that out, to help live it, if you will. For those of you here who are looking to take some kind of next step in your faith in our community this coming Saturday, we're having a faith step workshop. It starts at 9 o'clock. If you're looking to be baptized into Christ, Commit yourself in membership to this body. Investigate First Communion, maybe for yourself or your children or confirmation, if you will. You can register online at the exact same webpage, fellowshipoffaith.org. We just invite you to kind of put some of that into practice and find it. And as we close our time together today, may I simply say to you, may the Lord bless you, keep you, May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord look upon you with the favor that has been won for you in Christ. May that give you peace because God loves you. Jesus died for you and you can have new life in him. God bless. Thank you for coming today. Enjoy the rest of your weekend.